Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. Welcome back to all our listeners. Thanks for tuning in to episode 26. Today, alongside the amazing lids, of course, we have the incredible Femi expert physiotherapist, Grace Coops. We are so lucky to have such a passionate, talented and caring woman part of our Femi team and here with us today. Grace has a particular interest in physiotherapy for runners alongside women's health. Her knowledge, studies and training in women's health provides her with the expertise to work closely with females who may have pelvic floor or abdominal concerns, secondary to pregnancy, postnatal endometriosis, and other hormonal disorders or menopause. Grace is also a passionate, amazing runner herself with a long history in the sport. She recently completed a huge trail run covering 316 kilometers in eight days and is passionate about spreading her knowledge through her Instagram at she.runs.physio. Check that out if you don't follow her already. We are so lucky to have Grace here with us today. How are you, Grace, and how's the week been? Hello. Thank you so much for that lovely intro. That makes me sound sound really good, actually. (laughs) Um, It's really lovely to be here chatting to you both. Um, I am good. I've had quite a busy week with it being a short week, but I'm excited for the long weekend ahead. Me and my husband and some friends are going tramping over on the west coast so that should be yeah really beautiful and I'm really looking forward to that. Amazing Grace thank you yeah so much for joining us today we're going to get straight into things so we know that you grew up as a runner as well can you tell us a little bit more about your sporting history and what it was like growing up as an athlete but also why you got into women's health physiotherapy? Yes, I can. So, um, yeah, I grew up as a runner and I still probably consider myself a runner, I would say. Um, I started running in early high school and I really haven't looked back since sort of over the years. I've dabbled a little bit in triathlon and things like that, but have always been sort of lured back to the sport of running. Uh, Predominantly, I've spent my time doing cross country and road racing with a few sort of longer runs here and there Um, and yeah now I don't sort of do so much of the the competition side of things I tend to just run because I just really enjoy running and the feeling that it gives me both physically and mentally and you know the people that I meet through the sport but when I was younger um, and I was you know training a lot more competitively I like many athletes spent quite a lot of time in the physio clinic in the physio room with my own fair share of injuries and I think that's what initially you know sort of made me think that I might want to be a physiotherapist and so I followed that that path and moved into sports physio you know I spent my first few years treating lots of sports injuries and sort of moving more into the running scene and I was really lucky to work with some really sort of top level New Zealand and Australian level athletes um, during that time and then when I was living in Melbourne um, I was sort of introduced to the women's health side of things by a colleague who had just completed her women's health training and when I saw the impact that she was having on 
females in general, I just decided that it was something that I absolutely had to do. Um, it's such a rewarding um, career. I get to help females all day to stay active and healthy and, you know, confident in their sport and, yeah, sort of give back, I guess, to all of the people that have helped me in the past and to the sport of, of running in particular as well. Yeah. That's amazing, Grace. And I, I bet you've helped so many women and you should be so proud of the work that you're doing because, yeah, there's definitely not enough women's health specific physiotherapists. So, yeah, I know you'll be doing such amazing work for so many women. But I, I wonder, like, when you look back at your physiotherapy studies that you did at university, was there much specifically learnt or taught about women uh, or has that mainly come from the studies you mentioned that you've just done recently? Was there much to do, uh, yeah, with women specifically in your physiotherapy studies? I, unfortunately, I would have to say that there wasn't, which is a huge shame. Um, I, I really think that it was an area that they could have improved on at that point. Um, definitely a lot of the learning that I have done has been postgraduate studies and um, learning off my colleagues, my own personal experience and research and things like that. Um, in saying that though, I you know, graduated uni just under 10 years ago. So I think in that time, hopefully things have changed and there is more awareness around women's health and that it is in the curriculum because I think it does, you know, it should be. And it does, you know, play a big role in, in, you know, your thinking for anyone who is working with females, really. I know that um, in a lot of the Australian universities, um, at least they are adding it in as a paper now, which is great. So I think that that will hopefully start to inspire some younger physios and younger health professionals to move into the field because you are right, there is a shortage of us and we need more. <laughs> Yeah. So anyone who is interested in doing women's health physio, definitely, um, <laughs> you know, have a look further into it for sure. Mm, it's so interesting. And what about like in your day to day now, what are the differences you see when you're working with women versus men? And what does your day to day kind of look like now? So uh, my day to day at the moment, I uh, work primarily with women. I would say 95% of my client base is women, 5% are men. And it's quite exciting when I see a male now uh, because, because I am seeing so many females. I sort of have to remind myself that they don't have a uterus. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I co-own a private physio practice in Christchurch. And so I spend my week there most of the time. Um, and yeah, working with females, I definitely notice that I sort of look at the bigger picture a little bit more. I have to, you know, I might have an athlete come in with shin pain, a female athlete, and instead of just sort of thinking about what the injury is and what might have caused it um, sort of physically, I am starting to think a little bit more about where she's at in her stage of life. You know, does she have a menstrual cycle? How might her hormones be affecting her shin pain? Um, or how well that shin pain is going to recover. Is she in a state of reds? Um, you know, has she recently given birth to a baby and is that affecting her injury or her presenting complaint? Or is she recently, has she recently gone through menopause? All of those sorts of things. So I think, um, yeah, I definitely 
treat women differently because I think there are so many different layers to unpick and different factors that we have to consider. There are definitely layers to unpick in men, but uh, there are more in, in females. So, yeah. We definitely have a few more stages through our life. I think men are sort of <laughs> maybe a little bit more, um, yeah, simple. I'm not trying to be mean and saying that. <laughs> I'm sure it's still very complicated. But uh, throughout a woman's menstrual cycle, is it true or a myth that women are more susceptible to injuries at different times of their cycle? And if so, can you explain that to us and the listeners? Yes, yeah, so it's definitely not a myth. Uh, there is some evidence that is emerging to show that at different times of the cycle, females can be at increased risk of soft tissue injury specifically. So um, a lot of the research actually at the moment is around female football players and uh, ACL injuries. So the ACL is a, a major ligament in the knee that helps to provide stability uh, as well as sort of general soft tissue injuries. And so what the research is showing us is that during ovulation and during that pre-ovulatory phase, uh, where the hormones are sort of rapidly changing and where we do have a sort of spike in estrogen, that we are at greater risk of injury at that time. And then I think with regards to sort of all other, you know, injuries, not just soft tissue, I think uh, sort of looking at it from the point of view as to whether the female actually even has a cycle, has a natural cycle, as to whether they are more susceptible to injuries is a good way to look at it. So if they are, you know, in that state of reds, if they don't have that menstrual cycle, their injury risk is, is heightened, or if they are sort of in a different stage of their life, such as the fourth trimester or or menopause yeah I uh, I was just thinking because obviously around ovulation you do get a peak in estrogen and testosterone so it's you know been said that that's quite a good time to go heavy in the gym and do heavy strength work should we be considering the risk of injury in terms of going really heavy in the gym around ovulation as well I I wouldn't think so I think uh I don't think that from what I know anyway, I don't think that the research is strong enough for us to sort of be considering, you know, dropping the weights or, or anything like that just because we are ovulating, but um, but I could, could be proven wrong as well. <laughs> <laughs> and what about those women who may be currently suffering an injury or coming back from an injury? Is there anything that they can do that aligns to their menstrual cycle, which might aid them in coming back from their injury faster? Yes, yeah, so this is a, a really good question. It's also a really difficult one to answer because it is so individual for everyone. It really does depend on, on their own sort of menstrual cycle, but also what the injury is. Um, I think a good way to look at this question is to, to look at how the menstrual cycle affects our recovery um, and how well our body you know, is able to adapt and respond to the training that we're doing at that point. And so in certain times of the cycle, we might, you know, be thinking that we do need to spend more time recovering or change our diet a little bit more or ensure that we are getting a little bit more sleep than we might normally. And that uh, combined with injury rehab, um, you know, may affect how quickly their injury is recovering. Uh, yeah, but I think again very very difficult to answer just because there is so much variability there and I think just making sure that you get those basics right um you know throughout the cycle and then focus on some specific key areas at specific points 
um, as the best way to go. So it ties back to the point we always talk about is around tracking your cycle, right? Like it's still tracking your cycle can still have a benefit when you're injured because it can help you understand where you're at and potentially when you might need to adapt things to help with that injury and just get more recovery in. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So if you're in that second phase of your cycle, particularly, and you know that it's going to be harder to recover, you might just put more focus on that, particularly while you are trying to heal from an injury as well. So yeah, absolutely tracking your cycle is really important. And in terms of training throughout a menstrual cycle, how should a woman strength train with her menstrual cycle in mind? So strength training is is awesome for every every human, female or male, but particularly for females, because we know how important it is for our bone and muscle health. And so during the follicular phase, if we're thinking about the menstrual cycle, we know that estrogen is the dominant hormone here. And we know that estrogen helps to improve anabolic responses. So that's really important for the muscle and bone health but it also improves our mood and our energy levels. Uh, You know, we don't need as much recovery. So we might focus on that and we might increase the weights and we might increase the intensity during this time. Uh, And so we can sort of factor that into our strength training. And then during the luteal phase, that second half of the cycle where progesterone is the dominant hormone, we know that we can start to feel, you know, a little bit more drowsy, we might notice changes to the body temperature or increased heart rate and that our recovery is reduced a little bit here. So we want to factor that into our strength training and reduce the weights that we're lifting and maybe increase the recovery times between the reps and the sets that you're doing, but then also, you know, you know, within the days as well. So maybe giving yourself an extra day or two between strength sessions, um, depending on how you're feeling. Uh, I think, again, you know, athletes who don't, you know, aren't tracking their menstrual cycle or don't have a regular menstrual cycle need to just be be careful here and make sure that they are, you know, recovering well and, and getting those basics right so that the strength training isn't, um, you know, contributing to the problem. <clears throat> mm. So interesting. And maybe we'll get a little bit more into redis soon, but do you want to just talk a little bit more about hormones and bone health? You mentioned how important estrogen is for bone health. Can we dive a little bit deeper there? Yes. Yeah. So hormones and bone health, there's a huge link between them and it's an area that I'm super passionate about. And I think many others are as well, but um, particularly after sort of having a few bone, bone injuries myself in the past that were all probably preventable if I was tracking my hormones and looking after my hormones. So yeah, it's definitely an area I'm happy to talk about. Estrogen is sort of the queen hormone here. Uh, there are lots of other hormones that affect our bone health, but estrogen is really the dominant, the dominant one that's important for bone remodeling and metabolism. And without it, we are at increased risk of things like bone stress injury, um, as well as soft tissue injury um, as well. So yeah, estrogen is the main one, but then we've also got things like cortisol, which is which is a hormone as well. And if that is too high or too elevated um, in our body, then that can affect our bone health um, and the way that our bones remodel and adapt and repair as well. Can you tell us more about reds and long-term health effects? Because obviously, you know, reds happens and there's a sign that it's happening when you lose your menstrual cycle and that's sort of you know some of the first things that can happen but what are the long-term health effects that they can have uh for women yeah so um 
That's right. So we know that amenorrhea and losing our menstrual cycle is, is just one of the, the common sort of side effects of REDS. And it is a big one because when we do lose our menstrual cycle again, that, that queen bee hormone estrogen is, is reduced or we don't have as much of it. And, you know, short term that can affect our bone health, but it can also affect our bone health long term. So if we have, you know, a, a chronic sort of amenorrhea, um, that can result in things like osteoporosis and and you know bone fractures and bone health concerns later on in life can also as we all probably know affect our fertility um, as well if we're not menstruating and then when we are in a state of reds we do have reduced um, IGF-1 so insulin-like growth factor which is really important for the development of our muscles and bones and so if that isn't um, sort of there when we need it, then that can affect our growth and definitely our long-term health as well. Yeah, and it's def- it's one of those things as well. Eh? When we when you have reds, you're much more susceptible to injury, and then also the recovery from injury is a lot slower as well. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, your body is is essentially sort of fatigued on so many different levels and so so many different parts of the body are being affected and we are at increased risk of of injury but also like um when we're in a state of reds our our judgment and our coordination is reduced and things like that so we're we're at increased risk of injuring ourselves doing silly things um or you know on the playing field (laughs) and things like that I was definitely doing many silly things when I was suffering from reds. And I know both Esther and I have had our own journeys with reds. You mentioned you have had a journey with bone health and suffered relative energy deficiency also. Are you happy to talk about your own experience and kind of the key learnings that you took away from your experience with reds? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's unfortunately incredibly common in the female running community. And I would say that um, my my own journey really started when I was 15, 16, running competitively at high school. I was diagnosed as having, you know, that classic female athlete triad where I had significant weight loss, disordered eating. I lost my periods for well over a year. And then, you know, came with that, all of the, the bone stress injuries and the stress fractures and, um, and yeah, just like in an unhealthy way of sort of looking at exercise and running, I guess. Um, I was addicted to running, absolutely. I probably still am, but in a much healthier way now. Um, but I think I was also addicted to sort of wanting to look like everyone else that was on the start line with me, which is a real shame because now we look back at it and we were all thinking the same thing. We were all sort of trying to look like each other in, in this internal sort of competition with each other, which which is really um, sad. But yeah, that was what was happening to me as well. Um, I would eat what my friends ate so I thought that I was eating enough um, but I clearly wasn't eating enough for the amount of exercise that I was doing and that's sort of essentially where where reds comes in is that we're overtraining or we're underfueling um, or a combination of the two and I know that uh, lots of lots of females have sort of spoken about having uh, coaches or sort of parents or or people sort of really pushing them to lose weight or to become thinner at that time in their lives as well but I must say I didn't have that mine was all internal 
Absolutely. I had an amazing female coach uh, right through my high school years and my parents were, were super supportive. And I think that's what helped me to sort of come out of that Reds trap quite quite quickly. I think once it was sort of established that that was what was going on, we moved, moved pretty quickly. Um, I saw a dietitian. Um, we pulled back on my training loads and we really made sure that I was looking after my body, you know, going into my later teen years. Um, in saying that, though, I think it still probably affects me now. I think that mindset that you get as a teenager still creeps back every now and then. And I have to, to really catch myself and, and, you know, watch what I'm thinking um, and then, you know, that internal dialogue and then, you know, what I'm saying to other people as well, even working in the field as a health professional, it still creeps back. And I think that's really common for, for lots of people as well. But um, yeah, it's, it is an area that I'm really passionate about because I have been through it myself and because it is still affecting me now, like my bones, I did have multiple stress fractures and I still am at risk of getting stress fractures probably from that point in my life. So if I can help other women to um, to prevent, you know, going through that or to reduce the effects of that, then then I will do my absolute best. <laughs> well, we're so lucky so. to have you on our team doing that. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for being so honest about your journey. I think, yeah, like you said, catching it early with Reds is like one of the most important and, and key things to do right because the longer you're in it then it's harder to get out and it's also more damage long term so I was lucky like you my mum sat me down and she said drink this Milo and so <laughs> I cried and then she knew something was wrong so I think we're both lucky that we had you know parents that intervene so quickly um, but yeah thanks for being so honest about your journey no problem I was the the same I I think I knew there was something wrong when I got to the point where I was like if you run up this hill you can have a yogurt <laughs> when you get home. <laughs> you know, I would talk myself into training so that I could eat a small yogurt. Like just, you know. Crazy. Crazy, crazy thinking. <laughs> crazy where our minds go when we, yeah, have those beliefs. Um, mm. Yeah, so obviously getting, like if a woman is in breads, you know, getting your cycle back is so good for bone health, but what are some other key considerations for women with a natural cycle or someone coming back from reds when they're trying to build stronger bones when it comes to strength work and plyo training? Yeah, so strength and plyo training are both super beneficial for our bones. So absolutely recommend, you know, adding these into a program where possible or where it is safe to do so. Strength training, uh, you know, if we're thinking about sort of weight-based training or lifting weights, is, is really beneficial. It helps to stimulate some of the hormones that help with bone turnover and bone remodeling. Um, and it also, you know, promotes muscle hypertrophy, right? So if we can increase the size or the, the girth um, of our muscles, that's going to help to sort of take up some of the shock during sports like impact loading and things like that. If our calf muscles are really strong, that's going to help to attenuate some of that load. Um, as well so really really good in in that regard I always recommend that females try and strength train sort of weight-based training two days of the week at least and it doesn't need to be for long it could just be you know 30 minutes just targeting sort of large 
sort of global based movements like your squat or your deadlift or lunges or, or something like that where we're really getting some weight um, you know over our shoulders or into the legs stimulating those hormones and yeah you know building up our overall strength I try and advise people to keep particularly a runner for example to try and keep her strength training relatively functional um, particularly because we don't often love being in the gym us runners so if we've only got half an hour or 45 minutes we want to try and get some uh, you know biomechanical or movement pattern benefit from the exercise that we're doing as well so things like lunges are great because they're teaching us to build strength sort of in more of a single leg movement or more of a unilateral movement um, as well and in terms of plyometric training so plyometrics are the we can think of plyometrics as sort of jumping based exercises so like single leg hopping uh, where we're trying to really sort of push off the ground as quickly as possible these exercises are great for building fast reaction times but they're also really good for bone formation and have been shown to have great osteogenic potential and I love that word so I'm just adding that in osteogenic great um, so yeah so plyometrics uh they promote bone adaptation actually partly because of the impact and the response that our bones have to that impact but then also secondary to a strong muscle contraction so when we push off the ground really quickly our bones sort of almost tug or pull uh, our muscles sorry almost tug or pull on the bone and and cause a response and therefore an adaptation um, response from there Plyometrics should be added into any strength training program. Uh, thinking about timing is really important and the athlete's sort of bone health at that, at that time as well. So timing within a session, bones have been shown to become desensitized or almost sort of deaf to loading after even a few minutes of impact training. So for example, in a runner, if we were to go for a run and then hit the gym straight away, our bones might actually not respond to the benefits of that plyometric training at that point. And what the research shows us is that if we wait between four to six hours after a period of loading to then do our plyometric training, that we might actually get more benefit uh, from that training. So that's something to think about. But then also timing around... Um, the menstrual cycle or the phase of your training. So if someone is in their luteal phase or their premenstrual phase and they're feeling really fatigued and like they can't recover as well as they normally would, maybe just holding back on some of that plyometric training at that point might be a good idea. Also factoring in uh, if someone is in a state of REDS, whether adding in extra load and extra impact is a good idea at that point or not. Yeah. I, I have one more question as well around that with the with the plyo and the loading if someone did a strength session so they had heavy weights can they then go into plyo at the end or is that because you talked about not going straight after running but what about like heavy lifting yes I believe that they can well, they still will get many of the benefits after a weight session. It's just not doing sort of impact plyo-based training straight after an impact-based 
session um, because usually we would run for more than a couple of minutes and that's enough to apparently sort of desensitize those receptors but if we're doing weight training and we aren't adding that impact you know side of things into the session then it should be okay. I'm definitely someone, a runner who doesn't love strength training, but because I've been sick for a while now, I haven't actually stepped foot in a gym for probably over a month and coming back into running, I can definitely feel the loss of strength. So I'm someone who runs really well off strength, not only for my power and my speed, but also to prevent injury. So I think I also, as a coach, always urge my athletes to get into the gym and lift lift weights as well. And another thing that you always talk about is load management. So when we talk about all sports, can you explain a little bit more about what load management is and what it means? And also I'm keen to understand from a physiotherapist point of view, how you work with athletes who are coming back from injuries, psychologically focusing on load management and are just really gradually easing them back into training. I think um, all of our Femi coaches work with multiple women and we all know how much we all love running and training. And when our athletes get injured as a coach, it can be really tough trying to get across the line, the point that we have to ease the athlete back into their training. So from a physio's point of view, we'd love to understand more around like how you educate your clients or athletes around how you ease them back into sport or into the, the training when they have been injured? Yes, absolutely. I'm going to try and remember everything. I'll start by just explaining what load management is. So load management or also training workload is, in my opinion, sort of one of the largest contributors to injury. Other than acute injuries, sort of like rolling your ankle or falling over, it's one of the largest contributors to injury in sports. And it's about balancing how much stress or how much load you're putting through the body and about sort of making sure that the body can actually cope and respond to that load and to that stress. And it's a huge balancing act. It's really difficult to get it right. And it's really individual for everyone. But unfortunately, when we get that balance or that equilibrium wrong, we we end up with injury. So we've either done too much training too soon or our tissues, so our bones and our soft tissues haven't been able to sort of cope with that training load that we're putting through them for whatever reason. And that could be because of our biomechanics, so the way we're moving or our strength, or it could be you know, our footwear or the environment that we're running in, or our hormone health, nutrition, how we're recovering, all of these sorts of things. But they all interact with the training load which is probably the largest contributor when it comes to to injury and it's really really difficult to to be injured as a runner it's really does play play with your mental health quite a lot and there are very few thankfully injuries that I would say that require a really long period of time away from the sport so that's good Um, Often we can just tweak the amount of training that someone is doing and keep them running to some degree. But uh, but in some injuries like bone injuries, uh, we really do have to have sort of sometimes up to, you know, six to eight weeks full rest from injury and then build our training loads back up really gradually from there. And that's when it can be really difficult for the athlete and for the coach to navigate that. I I think, you know, we can think of load as, or training load as, you know, kilometers run or um, 
you know the intensity of the training that we're doing but we can also look at it in in sort of training load or stress that we're putting on the body just with general exercise or with day-to-day life or what we're doing for work those sorts of things and you know sometimes if we have to reduce someone's training load by 20 percent because they have a tendon injury that might mean that we just have to reduce their running by 20 percent but we can actually add in some other form of exercise like cross training, biking, swimming, um, you know, gym work that is still giving them that time spent exercising without the stress on that particular tissue. So I really turn to cross training to help get my athletes and myself through injuries. It's definitely not the same, but it can sort of help to keep you somewhat sane during that time. When it comes to increasing loads particularly something like running or impact-based exercises there are a few different rules that or sort of methods that we could follow and historically we've used the 10% rule and that works really well for some people and that we might increase the total training load by 10% per week you know until they get back to until that athlete gets back to their their desired training level but in others it it doesn't work very well it doesn't take into consideration all of those other factors that I was talking about there's also the acute chronic workload ratio which looks at um, an athlete's training load over about six weeks time and make sure that we're not uh, spiking in our load too quickly and we are increasing gradually over that time but there is no single rule for everyone and so I think you know, looking at our different skeletal systems and our different, you know, intrinsic and extrinsic factors that are contributing to how our body handles that load is the best way to go. And in terms of like yourself or to, I guess for like me and Lydia, you know, we did a podcast kind of on it last week with COVID, the sickness and the mental health sort of impacts that have because we actually have to fully stop training. So it's quite hard, you know, but in terms of injury, are there any things that you do when you're injured around like the, the struggles that you have through the mental part of not being able to train? Yes. And COVID is a really, really difficult one because it's no exercise, you know, at all. You can't just sort of replace it with cross training. Um, it's sort of that full rest and that's really difficult. And I always try and talk to my, my patients and my athletes about, um, you know, trying to focus on, on what they can control essentially so you know at that point in time no we can't do any running and we can't do any exercise but we can potentially start doing a little bit more mobility work that's really low intensity that's going to help us stay consistent in our training when we do get back to it or we can you know start looking into some rehab based exercises that again keep that intensity low that are going to help us to prevent injury down the track I think that that really helps and I also think uh, just making sure that you have a good support system around you so talking with friends or peers or family members or training partners that may be going through the same thing or have been through the same thing in the past and how they may have sort of coped with it can help as well I always find that being able to share my own experiences with with my patients really helps them to sort of see that yes I am going to get through this it's just a short period of time you know look at that bigger picture 
know that there are some things that I can control right now and some things that I just have to sort of give into at the moment. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I love that advice. And I think off the back of the podcast we did last week, we had so many people reach out to us just you know, agreeing with how we're feeling and thanking us for the advice and just knowing that we're on the same journey that they're on because it is so difficult. And I think, yeah, sharing your story and having people around you to talk to is really important. I think for me, when I'm injured, it is trying to focus on like what I can do. And even though in COVID there wasn't a lot, there's still things you can wake up and be grateful for. And I think gratitude can get you through some of the most challenging times and well it has some of the most challenging times in my life so I think if you are someone out there who is injured you know just waking up and thinking of three things you're grateful for can actually change your outlook for the entire day and I also think that having a really positive attitude can make you come back from an injury even faster so if you can keep that positivity it can help. 100% and think of all that extra time you've got to do other things. Um, I have found so much time in my day lately it's been really good. <laughs> yeah more sleep which is great you know all of these sorts of things um, can help as well. Yeah. As a woman's health physio what are the most common challenges or problems you see with women either psychologically or physically? Uh, physically, definitely with the female athletes, it would be, it would be bone stress injuries, to be honest. It's probably the biggest injury that I would see. Um, and then with my women's health specific clients, it's, it's working with lots of pelvic floor dysfunctions. And if we're thinking athlete specific, it's, it's women who are struggling with incontinence or, uh, pelvic pain is a really common one. And that can come about, you know, whether you've had children or not, both of them can, to be honest. Um, you know, concerns around body image, uh, abdominal control, particularly those who have recently given birth to a beautiful baby are often, you know, so consumed in how their tummy looks and, and how quickly they can get back to training and how quickly they can sort of get back into exercise. And that's something that I'm seeing a lot of. And I think a lot of that's to do with, unfortunately, social media sort of um, showing us unrealistic unre recoveries. Um, so sort of talking with lots of women about that and, you know, helping people to realize that we do just need to listen to their own body um, and work with with their anatomy and that we will get them there eventually I sort of <laughs> beelined off from your question sorry <laughs> no that yeah. was good you, you covered like the psychological aspect there so yeah. many women struggle with body image and you know changing bodies during pregnancy you know that would be really hard mentally I know even with this COVID that I've had I haven't been running and I've been looking at my body differently. And that's literally, you know, 10 days of no running. Imagine, you know, the amount of time off you're going to have if you're going through, you know, labor and especially if you've had a C-section, you know, it can take a very long time. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you help them so much to understand and to listen to their body and to take their time. But yeah, it's a very common issue for so many women. Exactly. And I think seeing, you know, yeah, going back to sort of anyone who is injured and having to take time off in the psychological side of that, the, the pressure internally from them to get back exercising, a lot of it is, is to do with making sure that they feel good about how they look. 
and you know I just try and explain to to women that we're all beautiful in our own way and that having a few weeks off running is not going to it's not going to change who you are or how people you know see you or it's not going to change your identity as well which I think a lot of runners and athletes really struggle with sort of like if I'm not running who am I or what do I do what do I like to do and just yeah helping them to sort of see see past that is um is really good and really rewarding definitely and you obviously you know you help so many women in your work and you know they're so lucky to have you as as their physio but why do you love what you do uh, I think just sort of because I am able to empower and help women of all ages really to stay active and to stay confident and I think it's is in part because I do you know like I mentioned earlier sort of feel like I'm able to give back to to all those people that did help me when I was younger and um, give back to the sport that has given me so much yeah and I also love what I do because I have an amazing team of people around me you know both here in Christchurch but also the Femi team you girls are amazing and the work that you're doing you know, around the world, inspiring and motivating women to to be active is really incredible. So that helps a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Grace. We're so lucky to have you. And yeah, it must be a pretty rewarding job, the work that you do. We've got two quick fire questions to wrap things up today. So the first one is, what would you tell your younger self? So your 15 year old self? I would tell my younger self not to hear myself to others and that I'm my own person and you know that I'm on my own journey and that life is too short to get caught up in you know all of that small stuff that doesn't really matter definitely <laughs> we're falling down that that um rabbit hole yeah. of hearing <laughs> definitely um that's awesome and last question what is your purpose on mother earth I thought this question might might come up after listening to to all of the other Femi pods, and uh, I have decided that I don't actually think that I have a purpose at the moment that I know of, but that I'm okay with that, and that I, you know, my my current sort of goal is to just live true to myself and the values that I hold at the moment, and I think that those values will change as my life continues on, and you know, at the moment my focus is on empowering women to stay active and confident and building really good relationships with people and of course having fun along the way and if that continues to be my goal then I guess that that is my purpose but I'm open to that changing as I change as well. That's amazing I think you are fulfilling a purpose that you're probably just not even aware of yet but just the work that you're doing empowering women is so incredible so thank you so much Grace we're so lucky to have you thank you for all the work you do not just for our Femi women but just women all over the world through even social media so if you don't follow Grace we're going to link Grace's uh, Instagram in our show notes you can go ahead and check out the work that she does and the education that she's providing to all us not only women but men as well but yeah thank you for your time Grace we really appreciate it and we can't wait for our listeners to become educated through this podcast as well Yay, thank you for having me. Thank you so much.